Man, a couple years ago, really in 2002, so man, I'm getting old, a movie came out starring Tom Hanks, Leonardo DiCaprio. It was called Catch Me If You Can. I don't know if you guys remember this. It was a good movie. It was about, uh, it, it really chronicled the true story of a con man, a person named Frank Abagnale, who before the age of 19 conned people out of millions of dollars. And he primarily did this by pretending to be something that he wasn't. And so he pretended to be a commercial airline pilot and he conned people out of their checks. He pretended to be a doctor practicing in Georgia at a hospital. Like he fooled people, he had no medical license. And my favorite, believe it or not, is he, he was a prosecuting attorney down in Louisiana, all with ever going to law school. And so this movie, with kind of a funny twist to it, highlighted this guy's life, this guy's true, crazy, incredible, true story. And then afterwards, supposedly, he was so good of a fraudster that the FBI hired him to help catch other forgers and, and people that, you know, broke the law. But my favorite part of this whole thing, this movie made a lot of money for Steven Spielberg and the studios and Tom Hanks. My favorite part is the fact that about 20 years later, articles started to come out about this guy named Frank Abagnale that told you that he never did any of those things. He sold his life as a true story to the movie studios and none of it was true. The most brilliant con of all time this guy pulled off. I think that to some degree or another, all of us, all of us are masters of disguise. And whether that is you having a bad day and someone coming up and saying, hey, how you doing? And you putting a smile on, oh, I'm good, when that's not true. Or maybe it's something deeper. I think many of us feel a sense that, you know, we have to pretend, we have to wear a mask to some degree. And I would venture to say that it's true all over the world today and true all over churches today that people drove into the parking lot, a husband and wife fighting like cats and dogs or in stony silence. And that the minute that that door opened, they sort of put on their masks, smiled and walked into church together, looking like the happy couple. But I want to just say a couple of things. Number one. We, here at Covenant Church, I want this to be a place where we can be authentic. So if you're having a bad day, you don't have to smile and say everything is great. We want to be honest. There's freedom in honesty, and it's exhausting to play a role, to act all the time. And that's one of the beauties of the gospel, is that we get to start again. That Christ says we can be born again. So that's number one. But the second thing that I want to say to you is this, even if you are really good at wearing this mask for everyone around you, at home, we know, don't we? We know what's really going on. The home is the true test of our sanctification. It doesn't matter what everyone else thinks about you. At home, that disguise doesn't work so well. These last few weeks, as we've gone through verses 5 through now 19, we've been talking about sanctification, taking off our old self and our sinful habits and ways and putting on the new clothes that Christ gives to us as his children, being renewed in our lives after the image of the creator. And now this week, that literally hits home as we talk about how our sanctification should be worked out 
in the, the marriage, and next week we're going to talk about in families and with children. So are you guys ready to take notes this morning? All right, Colossians 3, open up your Bibles. We've got three short verses today, verses 17, 18, and 19. Let's read together. This is God's Word. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And now we come to our verses for the day. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. The truth about our sanctification comes out at home. This is what this passage says. The truth about my relationship with Christ and what he's doing in my heart has to be true first at home. It's interesting, if you look at the qualifications for being a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or in Titus chapter 1, what does it take to be a spiritual leader of other people? You might think that, oh man, you've got to be charismatic, you've got to be a great leader to gather a crowd, but really a lot of the qualifications for leadership have to do with your home life. And I think that's because the true test of how we're doing spiritually is at home. And it becomes this, it really becomes a perversion when our private life and our public life don't match up, doesn't it? And it becomes even especially damaging when that's true in churches. And that's why scandals that hit the church hit especially hard because someone in public pretends to be one thing while in private they're another thing and there's all this collateral damage. And so God is saying that our private and our public has to be able to match up. And so today as we talk about marriage, I want to encourage you guys. This is going to be hopefully a really encouraging sermon because in this are the seeds to restoration in a marriage that is struggling. If you're single, it's in this are the seeds to a future happy marriage. In this are the seeds to longevity and joy and peace. All of these things are within this passage. But I will warn you, what we're talking about today from a biblical perspective is very countercultural to what our society and what our culture says about relationships and about marriage. So just be ready for that. Now, I'll just tell you, I don't care what culture says about marriage, all right? And in the same way, I don't go to a broke 19-year-old on TikTok for my financial advice. I'm not going to culture for advice on marriage, okay? And so we're going to see what God's word has to say about it, aren't we? All right, God's word is the test. Here's what we read in verse 18. Two very, very simple and straightforward verses. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The first thing I want you to write down is, is really simple. This is going to be a simple outline today. Wives, submit. Now, I know that that is a countercultural statement right there. But I want to clarify some things. Because I think that there is some confusion about the difference between submission and obedience. Submission versus obedience. And so I want to talk about that just briefly. So if, if you're taking notes, you can write that down, actually. Submission versus obedience. In, in the Roman culture, where this city, Colossae, was a Roman city, 
the role of a woman within the household was obey. Unquestioned obedience. Women didn't have the same rights as men. And when it came to the domestic life, a woman had no choice but to obey. Unquestioned obedience. Now, we have seen that unquestioned obedience can lead to some really devastating things in this world. It really can. In 1934, the German army was forced, everybody, everybody had to take an oath of unquestioned obedience to Adolf Hitler. Everybody, whether you were conscripted, whether you signed up, in 1934, they made it a law. You had to take an oath of unquestioned obedience. You can't even question it. You just have to do it. We can see how deadly and devastating unquestioned obedience can be. And yet, that's not what we read. Submission and obedience are two different things. Submission has very little to do with unquestioned obedience. I think of it like this. Obedience is the action. Submission is the heart. So when it comes to obedience versus submission, obedience is the action. Submission is the heart. Every parent knows that our kids can technically obey without submitting, don't we? I mean, you can obey technically, but because your heart is so unsubmissive, you actually cause more conflict in a situation. And so what God does is what he always does. He takes a stab. He bypasses around the results of it, and he takes a stab right at the heart. And he says that, wives, your challenge in a marriage will be this issue, this heart issue of submission. Submission in marriage. But then he also reminds us, we, wives, are submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord, that this is a spiritual issue. That when a wife chooses to submit to the role in the leadership of her husband in a marriage, that's a spiritual choice. It is a wife choosing to trust in God's good plan for marriages and thriving relationships. It is a spouse choosing to trust that God has truly her best, in, her, her best intentions. God wants a thriving marriage. When we choose to submit, it's a stab at the heart. And the good news is whenever God asks us to do something difficult, he gives us the power to do it. And so God will actually help you in this submission and in this process of submitting as is fitting in the Lord. It's a spiritual issue. It starts there and then it flows over into a marriage. Now, it wasn't just the Romans that had these domestic rules. This culture was, as we've said, it was very multicultural. There were Jewish people, there were Greeks, there were Romans, there were lots of cultures in Colossae. And so I want you to see what the Jewish and the Greek culture surrounding women was as well. I have this kind of long quote from a commentary that I read by William Barclay. We're going to put it up on the screen behind us so that you guys can follow along with it. And here's what this quote says. Under Jewish law, so this is Jewish first, a woman was a thing. She was the possession of her husband just as much as his house or his flocks or his material goods were. She had no legal right, whatever, for instance, under Jewish law, a husband could divorce his wife for any cause, while a wife had no rights whatsoever in the initiation of a divorce. 
So that's Jewish law. A wife uh, is a possession. In Greek society, it was even more stark. A respectable woman lived a life of entire seclusion. She never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go to the market. She lived in the women's apartments and did not join her menfolk even for meals. From her, there was demanded a complete servitude and chastity, but her husband could go out as much as he chose, could enter into as many relationships outside of marriage as he liked, and incur no stigma. Both under Jewish and under Greek law and custom, all the privileges belonged to a husband and all the duties belonged to the wife. And yet here is Paul in a letter that is most likely being read out loud in a culture where they either follow Roman domestic practices, Jewish domestic practices, or Greek domestic practices, and Paul does something that is radical. It blows their minds. I can imagine that it has them looking at each other, speechless. It has men confused. It has uh, the, the women wondering, what does all of this mean? This is a massive change because he does two things that are mind-blowing to this culture. The first thing that he does is he addresses women directly. He says, you're not a possession of your spouse. Wives, not only, not only do you matter, I, I have a command for you. You have agency. You have your own will. And this commandment for you comes directly from the Lord. You have a choice in whether or not you will choose to submit to your spouse. The commandment is to submit, but I am acknowledging, God says, your ability to choose not to. And not only that, but I'm acknowledging your relationship with Christ by saying that you have a relationship with Christ. This is fitting to the Lord. I'm appealing to that relationship. And the people in the society would have thought, oh my goodness, this throws everything. This changes everything. I have a choice I'm not just an extension of my husband's possessions. This is, this is radical stuff. And yet today, it's radical for <laughs> another reason. It's funny. It's a radical departure from what culture has to say about marriage and relationships. And today, now the Bible is a radical departure from what culture has to say about marriage and relationships. Our culture says that gender within relationships and relationship roles are irrelevant in fact, in many ways, our culture is denying the existence or the reality of God-given gender at all. Whereas God in his word says that gender is a gift that has been given to you by God, and it's a part of your future role within a marriage and a family. Your gender is a gift. Our society says that this idea of submission is something that is oppressive, that imprisons women, and yet scripture says, this is my plan for your flourishing. This is liberating. If you can learn to submit unto the Lord, if you can learn submission as is fitting to the Lord and submit in your relationship, it's, it's liberating. It will cause you to flourish in this world. Now, that's not unquestioned obedience, and we're going to get to what all this means a little bit later, but I just want to say that God's word works. I know that there's this old false statistic that's out there that says that 50% of marriages within the church and outside the church all end in divorce. That's just not true. If you read those studies with any sort of, uh, you know, detail, what you see is that people who pray together, 
people who share their faith in common, who regularly attend church, and if they read scripture together, their rate of divorce is minuscule. It's tiny compared to the culture at large. If you are active in your faith with your spouse, both of you mutually submitting to Christ and then pursuing Christ together, your rate of divorce and your rate of a successful marriage are way different than what culture looks like. God's word works. It has always worked and it will continue to work. Now, I want you also to know what submission does not mean, because I think that these verses have also been used in the past to really the detriment of a lot of people's lives in their spiritual walk. If you find yourself in an abusive relationship, physically, mentally, verbally, there's a pattern of abuse that is happening. Submission doesn't mean that you meekly submit to that abuse. This scripture does not trap you into that relationship. If your spouse is unfaithful to you, you're not supposed to meekly just submit to that unfaithfulness. You're not trapped by that. If your spouse asks you to do illegal or ungodly things, they can't look at you and say, submit. God says, submit. You don't have to submit to those things. We submit first to the Lord, and then we submit to our spouse. That's how this is meant to work. And so I want you to know, if you find yourself in that situation, the church, this church is your advocate. Me, the leadership at this church, if you're in an abusive and unhealthy situation, if you don't know that there's a way out, if your kids are unsafe, come to us and we will provide all the resources and help that we can possibly provide so that you can experience freedom. Jesus came to set captives free, not to trap you in a dangerous and abusive situation. And anyone that uses those verses to say that you're just meekly supposed to submit is abusing scripture. They're not submitting to Christ. But I will also sort of changing gears here. I will say this, that many women would prefer not to be the leaders in their household, to have to make all of the decisions, but they've had to because of passive and weak men that they married. I don't even know that we can call them men, boys with beards. It's just like the extra kid that they've got because there's laziness and selfishness and self-centeredness. And so the wife and the mom has to take on more work and they have to provide and they have to protect and they have to lead while the men aren't taking on that role. And so men, while a woman's challenge in a marriage is to submit unto Christ and to submit to this, this God-given complementary role within a marriage, your challenge is to lead and love like Christ. And so let's talk about verse 19. What do we read in verse 19? God's commandment to men is simple. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, someone could argue, one of those weak and passive and lazy husbands could argue, I do love my wife. But scripture gives a definition of love. And it gives a definition of love that we can't just 
override and choose our own definition of love. You see, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul sort of, he begins to like uh, elaborate a little bit more on this marriage thing and these, these roles within marriage. And he says some things about love. First of all, he says in verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives need to submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, you must love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The definition of love that we must embrace as leaders within our household and as men, the definition of love is that we love our wives as Christ loved the church. That we would give ourselves up for her. The word love used in Colossians 3 is the Greek word agape. There's multiple words for love that are translated out of the Greek, but this one has to do, the idea is unceasing care and affection. Unceasing care. Unceasing care, affection, service, sacrifice, all of those are a part of what it means to love. Agape love is a specific type of love. The most famous love passage that we have in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about this type of love. It elaborates on what agape love is. Here's what it says. Agape is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Agape love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Agape love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with truth. That love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. That's the type of love that I'm called to love my spouse with. And let me just tell you, I fail constantly. And I read that passage and I think my responsibility is to love, love my wife like Christ loved the church and I think that's not possible. Like I can't do that. I, I, have this, I feel like I have this finite amount to give and I just don't have enough. Like I can't sacrifice with perfect selflessness. I can't continue to, to love and bear all these challenges. I'm selfish and I'm self-centered. And no matter how many times I take off those old clothes and I try to put on these new clothes, I struggle with it. And I want to love my, life, my wife in the way that she deserves, but I, man, I struggle. And this is why I, I, I go back a few verses and the Apostle Paul reminds us, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we put on love, not our own love, we put on the love of Christ, which binds all these things together in harmony. We wear that around daily. You see, everything begins to change in my relationship when I don't just try harder to love my wife better, but instead what I begin to do is I go to Jesus who is the source, an unlimited supply, wave after wave after wave of love. I go to him in order to receive the love of Christ, and I direct that love which flows through me to my spouse. In and of myself, I'm not able to be that sacrificial. 
I'm not able to love her in the way that she deserves despite my best efforts. But really what I do when I choose to love my wife well is I submit to Christ. I go to him as the source of love. He is the fountain and the spring that doesn't run dry. And I reflect, I channel that type of love to my spouse. And let me tell you, when my relationship with Jesus is like that, when I wear the love of Christ daily, when I reflect that love, I can promise you that it becomes easier for her to submit to my role as leader. It just does. I am able to love because Christ loves me. And that's the bottom line. I can love like Christ because I know the love of Christ in myself. And so what is my advice for marriage? Every once in a while you'll get that question. My advice, if you're not married yet, is this. Draw close to Jesus. Become a person worthy of being submitted to because you know and they know how well that you will love them like Christ. Men, draw close to Jesus. Women, draw close to Jesus because it won't be easy at times to take on this role of submission. And as you look for a spouse, as you look for the person that you'll marry, I want you to know and understand that yeah, jobs matter and, and looks matter and compatibility matters, but ultimately you're looking for someone that you know will lead you to Jesus. Over and over, this is a man that will never intentionally let me and my family down. This is a man that will provide for me and my family doing whatever it takes to sacrifice his time, his sleep, his energy, his video games, his sports, anything. He'd give it all up in order to provide for me and my family. That's the type of man you're looking for. You can trust that type of person. Now, I want to just give you a couple of scenarios, and then I, I realize I'm running out of time, but... What does it look like practically to submit? Well, I can tell you, here's our scenario. I'm unhappy in my job, and I don't want to spend another winter in Ohio. All right, I feel like that hits a couple of people here, at least, I'm sure. And so here's scenario one. You're unhappy in your job. You don't want to spend another winter in Ohio. And so one day, you're just scrolling uh, at work, and you see a job posting out in Arizona, and kind of on a whim, you throw your resume out there, and you're surprised when the recruiter calls you back that same day. Man, the job pays better than what you thought. They're, they're, you're exactly what they need. It looks like a great situation. And so you go home to your wife, and you say to her, honey, I'm unhappy in my job, and I can't spend another gray winter in Ohio. And so I want to let you know, I had this opportunity out in Arizona. I applied. I put in my two weeks at work. I called a realtor on the way home. We're moving to Arizona. Do you trust me? Man, I can tell you submission in that situation will be very, very difficult. And there's one reason why. You can't be trusted. You can't be. You just did something that was unloving to your spouse. But now here's the same situation, except this time your wife and you have been praying for months because she knows you're unhappy in your job. 
She knows you don't want to spend another gray winter in Ohio. And so you guys pray about this pretty consistently. But she also knows that you know her fears about being farther away from family, about pulling the kids out of school, about maybe not being able to sell the house for what you need. And she knows that you not only know those fears, but you take those fears very seriously. And so when this job pops up, the first call you make is to her. Hey, we've been praying about this. I see this this job position potentially open. What do you think? I think I'd like to apply. Yeah, go ahead. Let's do it. Let's see what God does here. The call with the recruiter goes well. Your wife is praying at home. And then that night, you guys sit down together. And you go through all of her fears together. You pray through all of her fears. You talk. And at the end of that conversation, she has the ability to choose whether or not to trust you. And here's what she can say in that moment. I know that you would never intentionally do something that hurts me or the kids. You know I'm afraid, but if you believe this is what God has for us, I'm with you and I support you 100%. She can submit to Christ and his good plan to have roles and complementary roles within a marriage because she sees that you're a man worthy of being trusted. Do you guys see the difference? Men, we have to learn to love our spouse with an agape love. And wives, we need to submit to this role and this position as unto Christ. Both of these are spiritual issues. It's issues of the heart. We submit to Jesus. Both of us submit to Jesus, and that allows us to submit to one another out of love and out of these roles that we have in our lives. Now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that those of you, there are some in here that think, man, there is, that sounds good, but that train went off the track a long time ago. The thought of even sitting down and praying together seems absurd to us. You don't even know about how many broken promises he has made. You don't even know the way that, the things that she has said to me. Man, you, you couldn't even imagine. Our house doesn't look like anything that you describe there. It's more like a battlefield. I've got my trench over here. She's got trenches over there. And in between is just broken promises and dreams and anger and bitterness and frustration. I can't even see how we get across that. Listen, that's the reality for many. And I got to tell you that there is no way to get across that apart from Jesus. There isn't. It's going to require submission, both of you, individually, submission to Christ. One of you can't do it while the other one doesn't. But if you truly want to have that type of thriving marriage that God has for you, it requires, first of all, the submission to Jesus, both of you. And then I want to offer you a challenge, men. It starts with you on the way home today. I want you to grab the hand of your spouse, and I want you to say, I want this to become better. I don't want to live like this anymore. And wives, when you feel the urge to pull away or to scoff and to say, yeah, you've said that before, or yeah, we've tried this before, I want you to hold his hand instead and submit to Christ and his plan and say, hey, okay, let's try it again. And I can tell you this because I believe it with all my heart because I've seen it over and over. The same power that is able to 
bring a heartbeat back into Jesus's chest and breath back into his lungs and raise him from the dead can do the same thing in a dead, cold marriage. I promise you, it's not too late. It is going to require daily submitting to Christ. It is going to require some hard work, but it does not have to be a battlefield. And the challenge this week is really simple. I want to challenge you guys to, to take time each day. I want you to read through Colossians 3, 1 through 19 together. Together. And that might be weird. And, and husband, you may need to get over your insecurity and step up and lead and say, hey, I'd like to do this together. But you need to read these verses together. And when you come across a sin maybe in verses 5 through 11, that you need to repent of. You need to repent of that sin, past, present with your spouse. And when you read through verses 12 through 17 and you see, man, I have not been compassionate or kind. I've spoken words in anger. I've, I've had malicious intent. You need to repent of those times together. I'm sorry for what I have done. I repent of that. Will you please forgive me? And then pray together every day if you do this. I promise you, I promise you, that you are on the road to submitting each to Christ and his plan for marriage. And you're on the road for healing to actually begin within a marriage. And it's going to take time. It won't be easy. But I promise you, there's going to be days that start popping up in the next few weeks where it doesn't quite feel like a battleground anymore. You're going to have these moments where it feels like there's peace and maybe some joy and you'll maybe catch a glimpse of that person that you fell in love with a long time ago. And over time, some more life is going to start growing on that broken battlefield and some, some grass is going to spring up where there used to just be mud and blood. <laughs> I know this metaphor is going a long way for me, but, but I promise you, man, you, you drive through you drive through the countryside in Europe that used to be unrecognizable after World War II. With enough time, the grass and the trees, they'll grow again. You just got to give them the right conditions. And the same is true of marriage. This is God's plan. If we can submit to Christ, one, one another, each of us, I submit to Christ. I channel the love of Jesus into my spouse. She submits to Jesus. She chooses to believe that he has a plan in this relationship. She's supportive. I promise you that there is hope for your marriage, for your relationship, but it's gonna require a lot. But Christ, if he calls you to it, he'll help you do it. I don't want you to have to spend the rest of your life pretending like things are good when they're not. Let's actually take steps to walk out privately what we claim to walk out publicly. Next week, we're going to move on and talk about families as well. But for now, I just want to bow our heads, close our eyes, and pray together. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that there is no moment, there is no situation in which when both parties are submitted to you, Jesus, that healing can't take place. We thank you for your good plan of marriage. I'm so grateful for my for my wife, Jera, Lord, for the way that she challenges me spiritually and relationally. I'm so grateful. 
God, I pray for the men and women in here that they would take steps toward one another. They would reject what the world has to say about gender roles and relationships and embrace what you say. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord and husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh. Lay down your lives for them. God, empower us. May we be a church filled with men and women who are submitted to you. We love you. We worship you. You are worthy of that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.